Amen. Would you join me now as we open up God's Word? Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, take out the one in front of you. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 2. And we're going to read through this together as we go through the message. So I want you to have it in front of you as we begin. And if you're in the Pew Bible, I'm on page, let's see here, 983. So right toward the end here is where you will find it. Uh, while you're looking that up, one of my um, one of my kids' favorite games. This is a, a game uh, that was my favorite too. Um, when uh, in my own childhood, was the game Candyland. How many of you liked playing the game Candyland? Um, I think it came out in the '40s, and so uh, we all grew up with the game Candyland. And it's a simple game if you haven't played it in a while. Uh, and I like it because it's simple for them and for me. If you haven't played it in some time, let me just give you a very brief rundown. Every real-life participant gets a little plastic player, and that player gets positioned at the beginning of a long, winding path of multicolored squares that each lead straight to heaven, which in the game version's name is Candy Castle. But let's just be honest, when you imagine heaven, don't you think there's going to be lots of candy there? So, so anyway, that's, that's how the game works. And each player then picks a card, and the card tells the player how far they can advance down the path toward the end. And along the way, there's lots of different exciting shortcuts that you hope to land on, like Rainbow Trail or Gumdrop Pass. And of course, you never want to land on licorice, right? Because it's sticky and you'll get stuck there for one turn. Now, the game is as safe as it is simple. Once you're on the path, you can't fall off. It's not like chutes and ladders. You, you can't lose. But the speed to which you travel down the path is contingent on the cards that you draw. Nobody loses the game of Candyland. There's no getting out, but there's no strategy either. It's pure luck, no matter what your four-year-old child or grandchild seems to think, which is why as we get older, we usually don't keep playing Candyland, do we? We advance to, to games like chess or Monopoly or Scrabble or Battleship, games that require more effort to move ahead. They're harder, they stretch our minds, but they're also a lot more fulfilling to play. And so I want to begin this morning, I want to begin this series by asking you a question, and that is, if your journey of faith would be described as a board game, which game would it be? What, what board game best describes your journey of faith? And I've got a couple of examples here up on the screen. Maybe for you, faith feels like a game of chess. You're constantly making moves and wondering how that one move is going to be affected by other moves or how this move is going to have an impact on your future move. I heard somebody over here say battleship. Maybe, maybe your faith feels more like that. You're in this blindfolded fight against this invisible enemy that's shooting back 
at you. Maybe your game of faith is like monopoly. Whatever you do, you feel good as long as your faith is bigger and better and stronger and covers more of the board than everybody else's. Does anybody here feel like faith sometimes is like a game of Scrabble? <laughs> I love how everyone, if you're online, we all feel something to this one. You're, you're just trying to put it all together. Or maybe it's like Candyland. It's simple, your faith feels safe, but you've always wondered, is there something more to it? Than that. Now, let me be clear about something. I'm sure this is obvious. Faith is not a game, but there are ways in which we are invited to participate. And so, board game is the metaphor that I want to use as we start to climb through the reading that we're going to be reading today. Today is the first Sunday of our new summer series that we're calling Generous Grace. We're walking through a short and often forgotten three-chapter letter by the Apostle Peter to the churches in Asia Minor. These are the same people he wrote his more popular first letter to, but this time he knows that his life on earth is about to come to a close. He says as much in verse 13. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, if you don't know Peter, let me give you just a very brief introduction or a reminder to those of us who do. Peter is the disciple of Jesus that everybody loves to relate to because he makes us feel better about ourselves. We either see ourselves in him or sometimes we see him and we think that we're better than him. For example, Peter is impulsive. He speaks and he acts without thinking sometimes. And sometimes that's a good thing. Like, remember the time when he and the other disciples were on the boats in the middle of the night and there was wind and there was rain and Jesus came walking on the water. And who is it that stepped out and got to walk on the water too? Anybody? Peter, right, didn't think, just acted, and that wasn't a bad thing. Peter is also, though, the disciple that just hours before Jesus' arrest said to Jesus, I will never deny you. And then he attempted to make good on that promise by cutting off the ear of the high priest's servants during the arrest itself. Jesus had to heal the man's ear. And then he rebuked Peter by saying, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Peter left the garden confused. He must have thought the game of faith was more like battleship. He would go on to deny even knowing Jesus, not once, but three times. And yet after that, after Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the grave, he reconciles Peter back to himself. He reaffirms with Peter this calling on his life that he is going to be the rock on which the church will be built. He says, feed my sheep, but it's going to come at a great cost. Jesus tells Peter that he's going to die with outstretched hands. And our tradition suggests that came true when Peter was killed on an upside-down cross in Rome. 
Well, Jesus alluded to this back in the Gospel of John, and it was at that time that Jesus told Peter, this is how you're going to die, that, that Peter looked over at another disciple, John, and he got a little competitive. He said, Lord, what about him? <laughs> Don't you love that? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? Let me translate that for you. Mind your own business, Peter. You must follow me. Peter learned that the game of faith isn't like Monopoly either. We might all be playing on the same board, but every one of us follows our own different, unique path. And so as we look at these glimpses into Peter's life, I, I point these things out to kind of give us the structure of the game of faith that's laid out for us. It's, it's not a violent game. It, calls us to great acts of, of faith, stepping out, walking on water. And with every great adventure, we all know, comes great responsibility and, yes, even sacrifice. And so now that we know the structure, there's three things that we're going to learn about the game of faith from our reading today, beginning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Peter writes this, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In these verses, the first thing we learn is this, and that is grace puts us on the board in the first place. Grace is what puts us on the board. You and I get to play the game of faith in the first place because of the grace of God. In other words, you don't have to earn your place on the board. There's no qualifying round just to get to play. And if there was, you wouldn't qualify anyway. And so thankfully, God has given us the qualification for us. Through Jesus, we're in. And we're not just in, but it says here in 2 Peter that we are abundantly in. Because faith itself is a gift from God. And God came to us through his son Jesus in order to give it to us. Hebrews chapter 2 puts it this way. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves. To the fear of dying. To play the game of faith is to live without fear of death and also to live without the fear that we are ultimately under the stronghold of evil and corruption in this world. Now, does that make the game of faith like Candyland, random and without any strategy or effort on our part? Not quite. Peter continues in verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, we have been freed in order to play. Our freedom is just the beginning. And it makes me think, how many of us stop as soon as we have realized that we've been given a place 
on the board. It's like taking out your favorite board game and setting up all the pieces just right, making sure the cards are in the right place and all of that. And once it's all set up on the table going, okay, I'm done. (laughs) See, nobody actually does that, and yet how many of us do that with our faith? We say, I've been baptized, or, or I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and we just leave it on the table, which is why we have to continue by learning the next thing Peter teaches us, and that is that God provides the instructions for the game of faith as well. Now, I don't know if, if you've noticed this, but But games are a lot more complicated today than they were when I was a kid and maybe when you were a kid. Have you noticed this? I was was writing my sermon at home and I was at this part in my sermon. I thought, I'm going to go look at all the games that we have today. And I brought you some of the, the more complicated ones. Like this one is Seen It. Have you ever played Seen It? It requires a DVD player in order to be able to play. Um, This one is a new one. This is Throw Throw Burrito. Yes, you throw these burritos at the other players. It is somewhat violent um, and requires throwing things. Um, This one requires math. This one requires poetry. And so when my kids come up to me randomly and say, Daddy, 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 can you play a game with me? I have learned not to just automatically say yes. I say, what game do you want to play? (laughs) Because depending on the instructions and how much it's going to take to set up, that's going to decide whether or not this is something I actually have the capacity to do right now. And so so I want to ask the question, in this game of faith, what are the instructions What is it that we're being invited to play? And Peter gives us as much in chapter 1, verse 5. Read this with me. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, Mutual affection, and to mutual affection, everybody say it, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the instructions. This is the game that we get to play as Christians, this is the list that describes the path of multicolored squares that lead us to Candy Castle or experiencing a taste of heaven here on this side of eternity. Let me refresh our memory so far. Grace is what gets us on the board. And now we get to live in that grace. We get to live through that grace and the goodness and knowledge that leads to the tangible gifts of self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love. And let me ask you, how many of you need more of at least one of those things on that list in your life right now? I think we probably all do. Do you know how you get more? Play the game. Play the game and keep Playing, because this is a game that never ends. We never stop playing, not because we don't make progress, but because the last thing we learn is that we don't play to win, we play because we've already won. 
We pray, play because we've already won. Verse 9. For whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, if you're lacking anything on this game board that was just outlined in verses 5 through 8, if you're lacking knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, if you need anything more on that list, is it something that you need to work harder to generate or is it something that you have just forgotten you already have at your disposal? Reminds me of another list that sounds very similar by the Apostle Paul in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You can say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. i got to start at the beginning if I'm going to make it all the way to the end. These are things that on our own we are incapable of generating. They are gifts of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And I always use the example of peace because I am a parent of young children and young children tend to raise the octave level in your house or in your minivan. And so if I am lacking peace as I'm driving my minivan down the road, the way in which I will try to generate that peace is to do what? It'll be to say, be quiet! And guess what happens? They're quiet. But do you think I'm experiencing peace in that moment? Not at all. See, peace is something very different. Peace is a gift. It comes from outside of ourselves. We pursue it in order to experience it, but we cannot create it. It is a gift from God. This is the gift of all of the gifts of faith. This is the gift of all of the things that we learn in 2 Peter. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and when his, then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I love this. The treasure was already there. It's already his. He found it. His joy, knowing that the treasure is there, was no longer found in the endless pursuit of discovering it, but in the opportunity he had to give everything he owns in order to experience it. It reminded me, and I'll leave you with this, a story I shared a couple years ago about the time that my wife Alyssa lost her wedding ring. Remember that story? Some of you do. Uh, we were at McKinley Harbor in Milwaukee. It's, it's one of our favorite parks that we, we get to go to. And it was a very simple mistake. She had taken off her wedding ring in order to put sunscreen on the kids. And she must have laid it on the stroller or something so that when we walked away, the ring fell off. And we left. <laughs> And by the time we got home and we realized that it was missing and I went back to the park to look for it, it was gone. And I just, just in case you wonder if we're human or not, initially we were very devastated, okay? We were absolutely devastated. But after a little while, I realized 
that this was presenting us with an opportunity. We had been married about 12 years at that point, and after 12 years of marriage, I realized that I had this opportunity to ask my wife, Alyssa, to marry me again. And so for the next year, I saved up money, and on a rainy summer afternoon at McKinley Beach, I surprised her by taking her and our four children at the time to the beach, and I got down on one knee, this is a picture, and asked her to marry me. Do you know what she said? She said, yes. Did I already know her answer? Of course I did. That commitment was sealed all the way back in 2008, actually 2007, when I proposed But did our love grow on that day at McKinley Harbor when I asked her to marry me again? You better believe that it did. And friends, so will yours in the game of faith that we're all invited to play by the gift of God's grace. Follow the instructions. Play to win. Because in Christ, you already have. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you for giving us the gift of faith by grace. That we get to follow these instructions that you have laid out for us in this letter. These dying words by an imperfect servant of yours, just like us. Who gets to be on the board because of you, that gets to pursue love in the way that you have first loved us. Help us to play, knowing that we have already win, we have already won, that we have been given these gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, the greatest of which is love. We can't share love with the world around us if we don't first realize that that love has been given to us. So help us receive these gifts. Prepare us now. In Jesus' name we pray.